Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. A quick disclaimer, this episode covers some serious societal topics, including gender reassignment surgery, homophobia, homosexual bias in the workplace, suicide, and mental health. WKRP never shied away from tough topics. It had the reputation for being a very forward-thinking and progressive show. WKRP was the recipient of a Humanitas Award for television writing that promotes human dignity, meaning, and freedom. We know these are serious, complex, and emotional subjects. They require a lot of ongoing public discussion. Just not here. We didn't feel our podcast was the right forum to take on any of these issues. We try to remain neutral observers, just having fun watching a sitcom. Be warned, there are comments in this episode of WKRP in Cincinnati that can be a little jarring to our modern ears. We ask that you please remember WKRP's commitment to societal advancement and view these comments through the lens of 1978. Thanks. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area... Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. Hopefully you've gotten your box set of Shout Factory DVDs and you're watching along with us. We are past the two-part pilot and into season number one. So Donna, what are we talking about this time? The title of this episode is Less on a Ledge. And the air date was October 2nd, 1978. It was written by Hugh Wilson and directed by Asad Kalata, who, Alan, you said was also a director on the Tony Randall show. Yeah, I've been kind of digging into the Tony Randall show. And the Tony Randall show is an ancestor of WKRP. So many names that show up in WKRP were a part of Tony Randall. And Asad Kalata was one of those. Hugh Wilson, a lot of the directors and writers. And so I'm finding a lot a lot of these crossovers between the Tony Randall show, which was not a huge hit of any kind, but it brought these very creative people together. And Asad Kalata was one of them. Uh, he directed 15 total episodes of WKRP, so a huge influence on the show, especially in the early seasons. Mm-hmm. And that is the third highest number of episodes directed by anyone. He's only behind Rod Daniel and Will McKenzie. In this episode, Les finds himself desperate distressed when he is mistaken for a homosexual. And in an effort to help Jennifer, Dr. Johnny Fever has a talk with Herb. This is the third episode, and we're doing air date order on our review as we're doing our watch. But I have found out in my research for this episode 
that this was not the third episode that they shot. The one called Preacher that features Tiny, the Sunday morning preacher that's pitching a lot of really questionable stuff on the air, (laughs) was actually the third episode that they shot, but it was a bit controversial and wound up not airing until the end of the season. So this one came in and became the third episode of the season. And another thing about this episode, there is no Venus and no Bailey in this episode. That's a tough pill to take if you're a new cast member on a show and in the first few episodes you're told oh you don't have to show up for this one you've no, got the week off we don't need you for this this shoot <laughs> that feels a little rough i've heard a story about george costanza about uh, jason alexander on Seinfeld, they wrote him out of one of the episodes early on, and he said, if you do that again, I won't come back. Whoa. So I haven't heard that about KRP, but it, it is kind of odd to drop a couple of your ensemble cast members out of an episode, but really, they don't fit. Well, in this episode, it opens up with uh, Johnny in the studio. He's playing um, They Call It Rock by Nick Lowe. He's signing off and saying he'll be back. He's going to go away for a while and just until the dizzy spells over yeah. or something yeah. like that. And he'll be back hovering over the operating tables, yes. like the turntables in the morning. But uh, Johnny signs off, and it's got to be like 11 or noon that he's off. And he said he'll be back at 6 a.m. But we've figured out from Les coming in in previous shows that Les usually gets in about 11. So I think Les's first newscast is at noon, and it seemingly Johnny has no news on the morning show. And this is our first Les news report. Yes. This is the first time that, well, I mean, we've seen Les in the other episodes, but this is the first time we've seen him do his news report. We have not seen him at work. And I would like to point out the DJ newsperson swap is pretty funny. And not at all realistic in my experience. Right. You've got Johnny, like, holding two different levers or knobs. Well, and and then uh, Les holding two. And they're waiting to switch them all at the same and, time. And Johnny plays what's called a legal ID. And the FCC requires this. You have to say every hour, within three or four minutes of the top of the hour, you are supposed to say the call letters of the station and the city that the station is located in, where that license is. And you're supposed to do that every hour. So he plays that little... Morning, Morning, Johnny. That's the legal ID. So that means it's the top of the hour. And I'm guessing Les is coming on for a noon newscast. So Johnny's got a six-hour morning board shift, which is a, a lot. No wonder he's sleeping. That's a long time. So anyway, that switch in a real radio station, that wouldn't happen. The and switch of going from the DJ to the news In the same booth, on the same microphone, using all the same stuff. That just would not happen. I might, maybe in some small radio station somewhere that might happen, but I was in a little tiny radio station in a town of 10,000 people, and we had a newsroom. And in the newsroom, that's where the news person is sitting behind a microphone ready to start talking. It was like a a three-by-three room. It was literally a closet, (laughs) but it had a mic and a little desk in it. And on the board, there is a pot that you can turn up that says newsroom on it. So when you play that ID and you say, and now here's the news, you turned up that pot and the news person started talking elsewhere in the building. And that's how it came in on the on the main studio board. But that's not nearly as visually interesting as Les coming in and them swapping. Right. right. It was a nice little choreography yeah, there. Now, now, I was also a morning news guy for a few years at a radio station. And in that station, 
we had a news microphone. I was in the same booth in the same room with the morning DJ, but I was standing on the other side of a desk from him at a separate microphone and he would throw it to me for the news minute. And then we'd do happy talk and stuff like that. So it was nice for us to be visually seeing each other, but again, a separate microphone. I would never walk up to his mic on the main part of the board. I had my mic to go to as the news guy. So did you have a super long intro like Les Nessman? No, not Hardly. Les's is hilariously long, though. And it's featuring a legendary announcer named William Woodson. Yes. And everybody has heard this guy. London, this guy is a just a legend in voiceover work. I think he appeared once, actually, his face in a movie in the 50s. But otherwise, his voice is everywhere. He is this guy. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. He voiced over 100 episodes of Super Friends. He took that job after Ted Knight, who had done that job. And Ted Knight, of course, goes on to be Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And William Woodson, also a part of the Mary Tyler Moore organization, steps in to do the Super Friends. So it's... uh kind of an interesting little round round robin they got going on there with announcers but William Woodson no credit at all as Les's intro guy from the news capitals at home and abroad and at one minute and 40 seconds and now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner Les Nessman this is the Les Nessman Bandage Report now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman Right hand, pinky finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. All right. The, loving the Les Nessman bandage report. <laughs> and also, while checking out Les's bandage... Oh, right, right, right. We noticed his wedding ring. Uh, yes, on his left hand, Les, on, on the wedding ring finger. He's this got is a band. One of those, this is one of those that I see a lot in the goofs list. There are a lot of goofs lists out there for television shows. Les Nessman, quite famously a bachelor. Uh, wearing, lives with his mother. Lives with mom, wearing a wedding ring. And he does this more than once. Uh, I think later in the series, he starts to take it off more does often. He? But it okay. is not a detail they were paying attention to, and he's definitely wearing it. Richard Sanders was married and married to a woman who was a script manager and continuity person on WKRP named Marilyn Marco, and you find her on IMDb as hyphenated Marilyn Marco Sanders. But I can't find anywhere, either in Richard Sanders' bio or in Marilyn Marco Sanders' bio, when the two of them got married. I'm guessing prior to this episode. Hmm. I don't know if they met on the show or if they happened to be together and both got jobs on the show. I don't know what that story is, but Les was married to Marilyn Marco. All right. And so Les, he now does the most famous sports report ever. Winner of this week's Gulf Coast Golf Classic was Chai Chai Rodriguez. <laughs> Chai Chai finished with a nine under par score. Les, obviously a little lacking in some of his sports knowledge. Uh, and he also says he hopes that Mr. Rodriguez is playing up to par next time, which is not something you want to do when you're playing golf. That is one of those, anytime there's any mention of WKRP in a retrospective show or, a, you know, celebrating the 70s, that clip 
always gets played. You see that Les doing or the, that report. The turkey drop. Yeah, yeah. Turkey drop, the, the Ode to Humanity, but uh, that one gets played a lot. Now, in the next scene, we move to the lobby. Johnny's always kind of messing around, teasing Jennifer and well, sneaking up on her or he, something. He does it without her seeing it. He's but doing she these, knows he's there. She senses his presence. And yeah, it's an ongoing a gag. gag that they do through several episodes. And uh, Howard Hessman is hilarious. He does the one eye rolled out and he's got the grimace on his face. And sometimes the hands are up. And yeah, and the little claws. Yeah, he's attacking her. So that's kind of a fun little thing between the two of them. But Jennifer... Walks over and turns down one of those wall monitors that we noticed in Art's yeah, office. Using the knob on the bottom. Using the knob on the bottom. Right. And now they moved them up where everybody can really use them. So she walks over and turns that down and it immediately starts complaining to Johnny about her. She's complaining that he won't stop bothering her. He's always wanting to take her out somewhere. Johnny says he'll say, he'll say something to him. He'll talk to him. Yeah. And she's very appreciative if this works. She, she's a little skeptical as to whether or not this is going to work, uh, but she's uh, very appreciative if it does. I'd do anything if you could get him off my back. <laughs> I had a freak-out background magazine rack alert. Uh, as Johnny and Jennifer are talking, right behind Jennifer's head is the is one of those, you know, three or four well magazine racks up on the wall. So far, we've seen Billboard is at the top of the magazine rack. But there were a couple of really great close-up shots of it, and I was able to see down in the in the other wells, there was cash box. And then one that we could not figure out between Billboard and Cashbox, and I was looking at the cover of it, and I said, that's Bruce Springsteen. I would know that forehead anywhere. <laughs> There's this big, glaring forehead on the front of this, but we got in on it. The name of the magazine is Record World. I'd never heard of Record World, so handy-dandy Wikipedia, let's go find it. Record World was considered one of the industry trade uh, stalwarts for many, many years. They started in uh, the 50s as a publication called, or actually the 40s, I think, a publication called Music Vendor. They became Record World in 1964. Um, they were considered faster, cooler, hipper than Cashbox or Billboard, but unfortunately Cashbox and Billboard knew more about how to make money out of publishing, and Record World went under in 1982, right about the time I was getting into radio, which is most likely why I never ran into it. But <laughs> we, So we dug around, we figured out that the name was Record World, I found an entire online repository of every single issue of Record World ever published is available in a PDF format. So I found this one. That is Bruce Springsteen on the cover from the August 28th, 1978 edition of Record World. So that was fun to figure that one out. And I learned about a new magazine. And actually, I've been going through reading some old record worlds. It is fun looking at the set and, <laughs> and the props and things. And one thing that we that you mentioned when we were re-watching this for about the fifth or sixth time is you, you thought it was very interesting. You're looking around and there's not a computer anywhere. It's no. just kind of weird. Usually on a desk, you see computer on every desk. I remember watching movies, going to movies in the 90s. They started appearing on people's desks. The uh, computers were showing up in newsrooms. The you huge know, and, dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. The big, heavy, <laughs> with the giant, deep monitor and everything. But they'd show up like in a, a newspaper newsroom. Everybody had one right. on their desk. And it was like, ooh, that's cool. They're very modern. They've got computers. And you would look at it, and it would strike you. 
now, after 30 years of watching computers on people's desks, not seeing them it's is really striking. strange. Yeah, yes. it's really odd to, to not find a computer anywhere. But this is 1978, yeah. and there weren't any computers. Well, they were, but they were the size of a room. That's true, true. You couldn't true. have them in your, in your radio station. So Johnny decides he's going to talk with Herb. and well, well, He asks where he is, and Jennifer goes, oh, he's in Carlson's office snooping. Right, just going, <laughs> probably going through his desk. Yeah. And she knows it happens. Everybody knows it happens. But Herb doesn't know that everybody knows it happens. So when Johnny walks in... Find anything interesting? No. It's kind of... Uh, a shock to, to Herb. At Herb's first he's holding like, an envelope up, trying to look through it in the light. Through the light, yeah. And now Herb's outfit. Yes, it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. He's got on a sky blue suit. Now, I don't think it's that bad. You said it. Well, it's just it just is a lot of blue. Not for me. I wouldn't be wearing that suit. Right. But at the time, I think the '70s color palette was pretty wide open. You get away with about anything. So, but I don't think this suit, you know, Herb famously the tacky, tacky dresser. This is not that bad. It's it's, really. It's a a blue coat and blue pants. Now, you did point out that it's got. On the pockets, it's got a little like triangle (laughs) highlight under each pocket, including the breast pocket on the jacket. It almost looks like a fade. It's it's like a faded triangle on the corner of the pocket. So that's kind of kind of odd. And Herb is tying his tie with some kind of an ascot knot. It just flips over. Yeah. There's really no knot there. It's, it's a tie, but it's tied like an ascot right. to look like an ascot. So that's a kind of a unique uh, fashion choice. And the handkerchief in his breast pocket. It's not a pocket square because like oh, you pointed a, out, it's like poking out. It's a clump. So a clump. And they, it matches the tie. Exactly. But, but I would say now, and now, we see later white shoes. Right. But li- no white belt. No white belt. No white belt. And the white shoes are a little striking with the suit, and he's wearing really dark socks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say, on, on the whole, this is definitely a Herb Tarlick fashion statement, but I would not say it's a real tacky one. It's not it's, terrible. It's not terrible. So, no. All right. But like you said, you wouldn't wear it. No, no, I, I wouldn't wouldn't be in that so. suit, but uh, that I, I may be a little more conservative than Herb, and I also am not wearing suits in the seventies. So yeah, it is one of the least tacky cost or outfits that, yes. that we've seen him in. <laughs> so Johnny confronts Herb in Carlson's right? office, and he's going. He and now remember, he's going to go talk to Herb for Jennifer. Jennifer thinks he's going to say, you know, lay off Jennifer. So Johnny goes in and invites Herb to join the WKRP softball team. Huh? I didn't even know we had a yeah, softball yeah. team. So really, Johnny's constructing a story to draw Herb in. We need somebody to bat after Jennifer. Yes. And now now Herb, now of He's course, interested. gets Herb's interest. Yeah, Right. Yeah, Herb's ears perk up. He's teasing Herb um, by telling him, okay, yeah, we need somebody to bat after Jennifer. And Herb's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I didn't even know she could play. Well, yeah, she's she cleans up. Well, and she's yeah, she's clean up, which is really a power hitter. Usually, is your clean up bat. Right. That's going to be somebody really and strong. Herb is like what? And and Herb says so. Mixed league, men and women, and and Johnny's like no, nope, she's the only uh, female player on the team, and she's our best player. Uh, so that Johnny is very subtly leading into this secret. That right. he knows about Jennifer. Because Herb's like, oh, I didn't know that. And, and then Johnny's like, oh, well, you probably didn't. Oh, No, you'd never believe it. I'll believe it. <laughs> Herb's like, what? What is about Jennifer? I've got to know. And, and Johnny's 
hanging that bait out there and doing one of those things where I'm not going to tell you this thing. I'm going to get you to ask me about this thing. Right. And Herb does. And he swears he won't tell anybody else because Johnny says you cannot tell anybody. And Herb gives the Boy Scout yes. sign. Yes, the three fingers. The three fingers. Boy and Scout I, salute. I promise. I swear I won't tell anybody. <laughs> and as a as an Eagle Scout who was cutting troop meetings on Monday nights to watch the show, I recognize that as the Boy Scout <laughs> sign. Uh, so then Johnny hits him with our receptionist, the beautiful Jennifer Marlowe, is a result of the most cunningly successful sex change operation. <laughs> in the and when he says that. The crowd goes nuts to the point where, if you can hear on those last few words, you can't hear the words. The crowd is so loud, they have swallowed those up, that he says, in medical history. But he's already said the most brilliant sex change. So the crowd goes nuts. And this turned out to be a big problem for them when they were taping in front of a live audience. So often the crowd would be so with them and so on board to react and to support these characters, they would react to some of these lines or some of these outrageous things so loudly they couldn't get the taping done. They, they, they would have to tell the crowd sometimes, please, you're going to have to quiet down so we can get a clean, you know, clean reading of this line. And to the point where in later seasons, Hugh Wilson started bringing in the crowd only for the later taping. They would tape the first taping, mm -hmm. and he said he would be alone on the floor shouting, keep the energy up, keep the energy up, but they didn't have a crowd to work off of. But that way he knew he could get all those lines in the can cleanly right. without an audience cheering over them. So that that's an example of that, which kind of drove them to having to go to only one audience taping on a Friday night instead of two. Well, Herb's reaction, he like stopped breathing. <laughs> he He stopped breathing. And there are no words. He freezes. And you can see the gears turning in his head. You can see him mulling this over, thinking it over. And I know he wants to refute it. He wants to push it away and say, no, this isn't true. But Johnny is somehow this cool entity that Herb wants him to to like him. He wants to emulate him. He's always kind of fascinated with Johnny. And they never are really close, but I think Herb kind of admires Johnny. So when Johnny says this, Herb doesn't want to believe it, but Johnny said it. And he, there is an amazing 21 seconds yes. of silence. Yes. Herb just staring <laughs> blankly. But it's the most beautiful performance because he raises a finger. He, his facial expression changes. He just, right. there's so much going on there in that 21 seconds. You're just like, this is hilarious. But then to think 21 seconds of network television on CBS in prime time, mm -hmm. just silence. They sell 30 second spots and he's eating up 21 seconds with silence. But it was hilarious. But it was great with his response. And then the silence is broken by. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. And he does this three times. He, he's like, no way. I'm, you know, and, and Johnny says, yeah, yeah. And, and all three of them, he's trying to refute it. And he's having this battle in his head. He's trying to refute it. No, really? You know, and he cannot, he cannot let it go. So eventually Herb buys it. He believes it. He, he is on board and, and he is now thinking, wow, how could I have missed this? But he gives Johnny credibility and believes it. Right. So, uh, so there's <laughs> Johnny leaves the office 
And there's this hilarious interaction now. Herb has just found out this news. He steps into the doorway of Carlson's office, and there's Jennifer standing in the lobby. No words again. He's totally silent, and he's looking at her, and now he's looking at her with this information in his head. And, and you can see the wheels yes, turning there again, as well. Again, he's just, Frank Bonner is just doing this so and beautifully. Jennifer's looking back at him like, yeah, what? She, she takes yeah. one step. <laughs> And he slams he the door. goes back in the office and slams the door, and she's she's <laughs> clueless. And so we're in the lobby. Uh, Herb, Herb's just slammed the door, and right on the heels of that, after that little interchange, here come Andy and uh, Mr. Carlson, right, storming through the door, and they're in intense in the middle of a conversation. conversation. Yes, to the point where they both walk by Jennifer. And she's ready with their little, she's got the little pink sheath of messages she's going to hand them. And uh, they walk right past her and go into Carlson's office. And so, shut the door. Yeah. And they're they're talking about less. We hear them talking about less. I was wondering, when they came walking in, where did they come from? After they we see what they're talking about and what the issue is and the problem is, I kind of, I was kind of guessing maybe they got called to the stadium to talk with the coach and the player or the, or the foundation the or whatever. I, I get the feeling they didn't, they didn't talk to the player. They talked to the coach or or some representative the for the something. stadium. Uh, but I, I'm guessing this is probably in the noon hour or somewhere. Because um, we know Les gets in a little before he's 11. he's already there. Les is already there. Uh, Johnny has finished his board shift, which may be 11 or 12 that he ends that. And the stadium, Andy references that a couple of times down at the stadium, Mm -hmm. just with no other modifier to it. I'm sure what they're talking about is Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, which was a very famous uh, baseball venue for the Reds, but also where the Bengals would play. The stadium became kind of this generic name, and then they never identified the specific team or a specific player of any type where, you know, it's going to be the Bengals or the Reds, but they didn't say one or the other. Now, we've we've found a couple of things that we've got a theory, but it was in the fall that it was happening, so it could have been either baseball or football going on at some right. time, you know, September, October. Um, so so we don't know that. But um yeah, a little, little quick, the uh, Riverfront Stadium is torn down now. It was torn down in 2002. But uh, at Riverfront Stadium, they had the very first ever AstroTurf field. Really? Yes. Also played the first World Series game on AstroTurf in 1970. Wow. So okay. that little, little claim to fame. And I was tuned in on April 4th, 1974, when Hammer and Hank Aaron tied the all-time home run record with number 714. And I remember when he hit that. We were watching, my brother and I were watching that, and we're like, oh, come on, do it. Do it. <laughs> Every time he came to bat, it's come on. And he did it, put it over. But we were there just for that. We were enjoying a little uh, little baseball from Riverfront Stadium, which was later called Synergy Field and then torn down in 2002. Andy and Mr. Carlson are in deep conversation as they walk through the lobby and head into his office, slam the door, and they don't even really notice Herb sitting there, who's he's, still in a daze. But trying to process this information that he's found out about Jennifer. I don't believe it. Huh. Neither do we. Wait a minute. You know about this? It also cracks me up that they walk in to Carlson's office, and Herb is in there. And Mr. Carlson doesn't seem too shocked by that. Well, he's kind of focused on something on else. The, on the less situation. But, but it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a pretty common thing. Well, that, I, I, I wondered that. Because I yeah. wonder any other time would he have walked in and said, what are you doing in here? Take a walk, we Herb? You know, but not this time. <laughs> they then wind up having this 
great. They really do a good job of this great miscommunication going on. Herb thinks they're talking about Jennifer being a guy. And they're actually talking about the situation with Les at the stadium. But Herb says, Yeah, I get to tell him. And he says, You seem like you're enjoying this. What, you know, what, what's the deal? And, and Herb says, Well, I don't care one way or the other. And then Andy says, Now tell me this if this is true, can you deal with this? Well, he's not referencing Jennifer, he's referencing Les, but yes, Herb doesn't but know Herb, that. Let me ask you this <laughs> If this is true, can you deal with something like this? Surely. Yeah? I guess. I mean, What's done is done. Herb, you're an all right guy. Everybody keeps telling me that. So Mr. Carlson gets on the phone to call Les into his office. Herb has volunteered to tell Les the news, which they have not specified yet. So Les gets in there. <laughs> Mr. Carlson wants to leave. Because <laughs> Andy has said, as they're walking through, we hear him say, you and I both have to tell Les. And Mr. Carlson obviously does not like confrontation, right. does not want to have that uncomfortable situation yeah, yeah, does not want to have that meeting so when herb steps in and says he'll do it mr carlson is like you go herb and heads out the door he's about to leave and but andy, andy grabs catches him. Yeah. no 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 we gotta stay here yeah and says we we gotta we gotta stay here and make sure so then they less arrives they set him down turn it over to herb stupidly <laughs> and, and herb. herb tells him less Jennifer's a guy. What? And then, of course, they get Herb out of the office quickly. They're like, okay, thanks for your help. Let's go. You know, take off. Yeah. Yeah, because Herb obviously doesn't know what, what's going on and has not heard then what really is going on. But after Herb is gone, that's when Andy sits down and, and right. talks to Les. And this is a very serious moment. What is it, Andy? One of the players has gone to the coach insisting that you not be allowed to conduct post-game interviews in the locker room. Why? Because... God thinks you're homosexual. (laughs) That's what he says, and the organization has gone along with him on that one. You know, I was talking earlier when we were watching this. I said, I remember WKRP as being hilarious. I really enjoyed it. I didn't really notice how many serious topics that they cover. This is a huge issue to take on in 1978. It was devastating news to Les because he's looking at this as this could, you know, ruin my career. If his, this is if this is something that gets out and is said about me, this professionally ends me. And and it was just a horrible, devastating right. thing. He's worried his fellow reporters are going to hear about it. To be accused of in it, 1978. It is. So Les is so devastated, he doesn't know what to do. And Mr. Carlson and Andy are trying to console him, and he just wants to be alone for a while. He want, He wants them to leave. He wants to just... Have some time to think about it. In Carlson's office. And Mr. Carlson says, as long as you need it, just stay here. So Carlson and Andy head out in the lobby. Jennifer is still out there. Herb comes wandering back in. Now, Herb's not aware of any of this stuff that has happened. Neither is Jennifer. She's clueless. Jennifer doesn't know what's going on. So they're all now in the lobby when Jennifer gets a call. That was a Mr. Neese in the Negman building across the street. He wanted to know if that was you out on the ledge. They're like, oh, my gosh. And they take off back in there. And Herb stays out in the lobby with Jennifer. And Jennifer's like, what's going on? Herb's standing there. And you can tell Herb is still fixated on this. And and he's standing there talking to Jennifer. And Jennifer says, (laughs) ask him what's going on. I don't know. You want to go bowling? (laughs) Les is on the ledge outside of Carlson's office. and, And it's funny because... Andy and Mr. Carlson run in 
as soon as they hear, you know, there's somebody on the ledge. Is that Mr. Carlson? They run in, they go to the window, and they look straight down, yes. expecting to see a, a splat. <laughs> they think, oh, my gosh, he's down there, and they don't see anything. And then it turns out he's over to their right. And Les very calmly says, hi, Mr. Carlson. Now, if you look at the exterior shots of the Cincinnati Inquirer building that we see at the beginning of most episodes, it is a smooth-sided building with no ledges. The uh, exterior that we are seeing on screen is actually a set that Les is standing on with a wind machine blowing their hair. That's how they're getting a little bit of that wind. Especially Andy's hair. Yeah. Oh, Andy's blowing everywhere. <laughs> and speaking of serious issues now, we've got the issue of suicide. Yeah. They put that in this. I mean, they're like hitting you with everything because Les is going to jump. He believes his reputation as a newsman is destroyed. My reputation is all that I am. And then Les starts waxing a bit poetic, which worries <laughs> Mr. Carlson. But this also kind of reminds me of Les's background, of Richard Sanders' background, as a dramatic stage actor when he starts reciting. He, he really put it to use here. Yes, these Shakespearean soliloquies that he is launching into. He starts to quote from Hamlet. To be or not to be, that is the question. And in the office, Andy is on the phone. He's on a phone with the police. And we hear him say, yes, the ninth floor of the Flim building. Hurry. <laughs> Which just last episode, we established, based on the address on the door, that they are in suite 1412, which mm. would indicate they're on the 14th floor. That's what you would think. Yeah. So, so what are ninth floor, 14th floor? I don't know. Unless they moved since the last. I, I, I don't know. Or maybe they've got the top four floors. I don't think so. But when but. they show the shot out of the window and they look down, it's more believable to be the ninth floor. Yeah, I would think. I, than we the were kind of looking at that. It looks even like it's the sixth or seventh floor, the one that they're looking down right. the street. Herb enters and he wants to know what's going on. Of course, he's still thinking about Jennifer's sex change. And this is where Herb finds out the real reason. Yes, the, the accusation made against Les. This is the first time now that Herb has heard it. When he walks in, Les is out on the ledge. Andy Carlson are leaning out. Jennifer's in there, worried. And Andy tells Herb. Some jerk accused Les of being a homosexual. And, and Herb's <laughs> response is... Herb, Herb wants a little clarification on that. A homosexual? That's right. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know Les. Apparently not. <laughs> and Herb... And, and now, I've, I've got a theory on this. One of the things that Hugh Wilson originally presented the show as was an ongoing battle between, quote-unquote, the suits... And the oh, dungarees. Yes. The suits are the management. The dungarees are the on-air staff and all the other people that have to fight with the suits over the things that go on at the radio station. I think that you see that separation, the suits versus the dungarees, when it comes to the attitude about less. It, Lonnie, Lonnie Anderson's character, Jennifer... Very obviously forward thinking and, and enlightened and accepting. And same with um, Andy. Andy, another dungaree. He's right. not a suit. Right. But Herb, Carlson, those guys are the suits. And they're not as accepting, not as understanding. I mean, Carlson makes a comment that, you know, whatever you are, but then he's kind of like, you aren't, you are aren't, you? Are you? So it's it's still this very much, it's like, I'm going to grudgingly accept this if you are, but I'd really rather you weren't, is kind right, of the attitude. Right. And then Jennifer really reads Herb the riot act. The word is gay, not funny. And so what if he is? He comes to work, he does his job, he's a fine person. His sex life is his own business. You know, Les wouldn't be out there right now if it weren't for people like you. Me? 
What I do? It's your attitude, Herb, your prejudices. Prejudice? I don't have a prejudice bone in my body. Prove it sometime, Herb. And it's during this scene that we see that uh, Jennifer's, well, <laughs> Nipplegate, Nipplegate is revisited. Is revisited. Um, she's in this kind of gauzy, kind of clingy, bluish really dress. Really pretty dress. Very pretty dress. She's in it the whole time. But all of a sudden, in Carlson's office, we get a kind of a medium shot, which a medium shot is usually like waist up of a person. And we get this shot where, bang, obviously <laughs> it's cold in KTLA. Um, <laughs> and you noticed it first. You pointed right, it out. Right. I'm like, now, wait a minute. Her, her nipples are at attention here. Yes. Um, and in the, in the scene earlier, they weren't. And it was very obvious she's not wearing well, a and, bra and when we in went this back, scene. When we went back and looked at the scenes that preceded this one out in the lobby, she's wearing the same dress, but she's wearing a bra. And in the scenes that come after this, she's wearing a bra. She's wearing a bra. Now, we found out in the first, in pilot part one, about Nipplegate and about what happened. And it was a CBS standards and practices person that was there that commented on this. And they said, you really need to take care of this. But at the same time, and this is my theory, at the same time, CBS was very excited about having Lonnie Anderson as a part of the cast because she would bring in. 20-something males as audience members. Uh, and 30-something and 40-something. Well, yeah, and... but, they, but they really want those younger numbers, that younger demographic, and they were running right. this thing at the earliest time in primetime. They had it on at 8 p.m. Eastern. So they were wanting to get those younger male viewers in there, and I think maybe a little flash like this is enough to keep them interested. Even right. if they're not there for the story, they're going to be there for Nipplegate. And, and, and I, it was very obvious to me that I don't think she was comfortable with no. It. You notice she kept putting her, crossing her arms in front, yeah. just enough to cover up. I, maybe she I think was, she was a little self conscious. I think she was. It did because seem because she didn't act that way in any of the other scenes. No, it it did seem like she was just a little she bit self conscious about that with exposure. Right. But uh, but uh, that's one that it kind of had that feeling of. This didn't just happen. I think it was discussed. It was on purpose. Yeah, it yeah, felt, it felt like very it. intentional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Les, Les, yes. Les is doing his Hamlet speech. He continues this, I guess, with Mr. Carlson watching him, but we're back in Carlson's to be office. talking to him and, and but, keeping him calm. But, but Les is reciting Shakespeare, and he's hit upon a word, fartles, which we looked up um, and found out about fartles in that speech is actually a Shakespearean word. Shakespeare invented a couple hundred words, and this is one of them. That means a burden. Well, nobody around there knows what it is, so Carlson wants a dictionary. Jennifer says, I've got one well, on my desk. I think Les wanted to know what it meant. Les wanted to know what it was, and so Carlson's Carlson finding was it for him. For a yeah. Right. yeah, but again, not the dumb Jennifer, not the dumb blonde. She's got a dictionary in her desk. Right. That's a smart person has a dictionary in their desk. She's not playing the dumb blonde. And as Carlson heads out to get the dictionary, Johnny enters and he's like, Hey, and Carlson says, Hey, talk to Les, will you? Sure. John, Johnny scans the room and goes, Where, Where is, is he? he? <laughs> On the ledge. Oh, okay, interesting. So he heads over to to lean out the window and talk to Les. <laughs> And what he's saying to Les is, is kind of scary stuff. When they cut to the exterior <laughs> shot, Johnny is just finishing up this story. And then there was this guy that dove off the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> and he hit a barge. 
pancake. Which is actually working. It's scaring Les a little bit. You know, Les is going, don't talk about that, Johnny. So, and he says, maybe I'll just come in. And so he starts getting him edged over and coming in. And then Herb shouts. He suddenly takes all this ownership of that of that situation and decides he's going to go save Les. And we notice that when he, he so he goes to the window and he's he's shouting, Les, Les, it's okay if you're, and we hear the words, a uh, gay. But what? it was very clear in what we saw, his mouth, mouth, he really said, it's okay if you're a homo. Yeah. And you could see his mouth saying, oh, you know, mouthing that. And But uh, as far as we can tell, the original airing, it, it, they, they changed he, it. They edited it. He did say it. The, in, in the scene, he said it, and it was taped, but then they came in and they do right. what's called ADR, which is uh, it, it's additional dialogue recording that they go in. And the, if you can't understand a word or if something is bobbled or whatever, you can go in and recut a voice or a word or a couple of things, and they'll insert it over that. So that's what they've done here. They've inserted him saying uh, – Frank Bonner went into a studio later and recorded a gay, which then they edited in over him saying a homo, but you can still see his mouth saying a Very homo. Clearly. Very right. clearly. It, it, and, and, yeah, as far as we can tell, even the original airing in the fall of 78 – that edit was made there. This is not a later edit that was in the syndication or, or, or anything. That never went out over the air that way, thankfully. And I, and I think probably it's, it's just it's, it's a hateful and insulting term. Um, and even at that time, I think probably they're looking at it going, yeah, we don't really want to say this. This is this is not something we want to say. So yeah, so it, it did get edited. Yeah, strong out. for this for now. The way Herb injects himself into the situation, Johnny's almost got less back in. And Herb just, he practically launches himself out the window and he's shouting when he runs over there. And all of a sudden, uh, it scares less about falls. Johnny has to grab less by the belt. He's um, holding him. Yeah. So, uh, so it, 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 uh, Herb messes everything up and totally ruins Johnny's shot at getting last back inside. Right. Uh, and <laughs> we see Fever grabs him by the belt and is holding him up with a hand with one hand. Right. And with all this insanity now happening, here comes Mr. Carlson and he's got the lowdown on fartles. I, I found what it means. Fartles. Fartles less <laughs> and he's reading the definition. But we don't hear it. We never right. get it. If you missed it earlier, I think we said it, but a fartle is a traveler's bundle or a burden was the Shakespeare's definition of it. So that's a fartle. Uh, and then they, they fade to black. We go to a commercial break. So we come back from commercial now. Johnny is at Carlson's desk. And you you noted this, the whole, he really continues. He's rubbing his sore hand. Rubbing his hand. He must have like twisted his wrist or something when he grabbed Les by the belt and, and held him. He's sitting at the desk. Now, there are people out the window, and I didn't realize it, but there are now two firemen there. Right. So some time has passed. The firemen have arrived. And there are two firemen leaning out the window. Uh, and we, I didn't notice they were there till they turned around and ran out and, of the room. And run out of the room. And we can't find credits anywhere for these two guys. We've got two guys. One of them's carrying a walkie-talkie with a big, long antenna on it. They're obviously in fire uniforms. They were leaning out the window. They don't say a word. They're on screen for maybe eight or ten seconds. They go rushing out of Carlson's office. Johnny opens the door for them. And we never see them again. I'd love to know who those two guys are. But it's in this scene right about this time that we find out from Andy 
what really happened? Why this player why thought? Why this got started? Yeah, and it, and it had nothing to do with anything Les had actually overtly done. It was right. so Andy explains. Now Les and a couple reporters were interviewing this ball player after the game. Right now Les doesn't know that much about sports. So he asks a couple of quick, crazy kind of questions, and then when he splits, one reporter turns to the other and says, queer little fellow, isn't he? And the ball player misunderstood the remark. The reporter that said this was meaning Les was odd. He, he's an, an odd, odd little fellow. fellow. An odd little fellow. But the player mistook this and, okay, we don't want him in our dressing rooms anymore, in our Which, dress, dressing at the, rooms. <laughs> at the time, queer was a pretty common, it was a gay slur. It was a, right. a, but also, it's kind of like gay has other meanings. Gay means happy, you know, queer has other meanings. That happened to be one of them, and the player misinterpreted it. Yes, yeah, so now everybody understands, as Jennifer says. Then it's all just a silly misunderstanding. That's right, but tell Les that. Everyone except Les, who is still out on the ledge. Well, Mr. Carlson's out talking with him, and, and Les tells Mr. Carlson. I love sports. I know you do, Les. I just don't seem to understand them very well. <laughs> I just don't understand them very well. And Mr. Carlson's like, well, we know. That's okay, Les. That's... And then Les says that he's worried that his, what was it, my, my reputation will be sullied and be smirched or something like that. And Carlson turns around and says, dictionary! And it's at this time that Les gets a phone call. Yeah, and, Andy, and Andy's Andy, trying to hand the phone out the window. Les, Les, you yeah, got Andy a phone leans call. out, and Carlson's like, "No, I asked for a dictionary." But Andy leans out with the phone, and it's the player that that uh, made He's the comment to apologize, right? And, well, Andy called him because remember, uh, Jennifer said, came in. Please have him call me back. Well, Jennifer came in with the number, and is right. there anything else I can do? So Andy was trying to orchestrate this, and now he's finally got the guy, yes. and the guy wants to talk to Les. I don't know how Andy smoothed this over, but. Whatever the guy thought about Les, Andy has changed that thought. Um, you well, know, probably saying that he's out on the ledge. Wanting well, to yeah, jump. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a big part of it. You could save a man's life right now right. if you just tell him you're sorry. But uh, now it's funny when he hands him the phone. By the way, that's a long dang phone cord on that phone too. Well, they, they had them long yeah. back then. I remember a friend of mine's mom used to walk around the kitchen on the phone, and she'd right. be entirely connected to it the whole time. We she had could be one anywhere in, our in the kitchen. hallway, a wall phone that had a really long cord. I could take it in my bedroom and yeah, shut the door so go. my mom couldn't hear me. <laughs> You know, I mean, it went from the hallway into my bedroom, into my sister's bedroom. Yeah, so Les is, Les is talking on his big, long phone cord, and <laughs> gets very comfortable out on the ledge. He's just in a conversation. Like he's in his office or something. Not aware of his surroundings at all. and Doing his job. Yeah, yeah. And he gets into a conversation with the player. They, you know, they've worked really hard through this entire episode to hide what sport they're talking about. They've tried to use general terms and yeah. words. Yeah, but but there are a couple of little things that I think, and I think this for me, uh, when Andy says ball player, that's more common. You don't normally refer to a football player. You just call him a player. Mm -hmm. uh, a football player is a player. He's not a ball player. A baseball player tends to be more of a ball player. And, and Les uses the word the big slump. One. Yeah, that's the big one. You know, are you out of your slump when he's talking to the player on the phone? Which slump is a batter or a pitcher? Those got, those are where they use the term, you're in a batting slump or you're in a pitching slump. Those are so commonly used right. in baseball. It's rare to be in a slump in another sport. I mean, they use slump for other sports, but it is such a baseball term. It's more term. common in, yeah. in baseball. Yeah. Well, and then... Then Les ends the call. Good luck to you, too, Bruce. <laughs> and that gets a huge laugh. That 
is a stereotype joke from that era. I, my middle name is Bruce, so I've always been kind of aware of this. Bruce <laughs> tends to be a stereotypically gay name, but that is a perception that was out there. And at this time, it was really out there that Bruce was a gay name. And so much to the point where in 1977, the Incredible Hulk went on the air with Bill Bixby playing. The character in the comics was named Bruce Banner. But because of this bias against the name Bruce, they changed the character's name in the television series. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, just uh, entirely because of this anti, this bias wow. against the word Bruce. I don't think now, 40 years later, it, it dawns on us so much what he was implying with that, but that's what it was. And we also looked it up. Not a single player on the Bengals or the Reds that year or the year prior or the year after named Bruce. So, so the, yes, they just threw that name in there for the effect. Yeah. But then, then Les is done with the call. He's feeling better. He's like, okay, he's relieved. And he says, I'll see you out at the stadium for the next tournament. I mean, game. I mean, game. Game, game. But then after it's over, he realizes where he is. Yes. And now he freezes and he can't move. And that's when Herb decides it's time to step up for his buddy. Yes. And he's going to go out there and get Les. I'm coming to get you, Les. Oh, no, you're not. No, he gets out on the ledge, and he's talking to Les. Hand, give me your hand. I, I'm going to hold it out here. Just grab my hand. And this part cracked me up because from behind... Johnny is standing behind somebody in the window, and his big arm comes out. All you see is his hand with his pointer finger, and he's pointing at Les or at Herb's hand. Yes, as Herb's like, "Take my hand, Les. Take my hand." And you see this hand pointing at Herb's hand. It's so, so funny. So it's it's really awkward and and kind of lurching, but they get Les over to the window, and he's there. He's being held on by multiple people. And they're having to hold on to Herb, have, too. Having to hold on to Herb's there by Les out on the ledge when then <laughs> Jennifer says, Come on in here, Les, and show me what kind of man you really are. And that, of course, resonates with Herb big time. He turns, totally forgets where he is, and says, what? And falls. <laughs> falls backwards. And we watched this in yes. slow motion. Now, I've, I at first thought, that's got to be a stunt person. That's got to be a double. Right? That's somebody else doing that because there's no way. You know that he fell just out of camera frame and fell on a big soft back. So maybe four feet, five feet, something like something that. Like still, that. that's a long way. That is. But, and to fall backwards. And you were thinking, no, surely they had a stunt double do that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something that you would want one of your stars doing. So what if he wrenches his neck and he's out for the next three yeah, weeks? What if you know, he something lands like that. Or, yeah, wrong. yeah, yeah, just a little bit off. But we did a frame by frame step through that. And I'm very certain that was Frank Bonner falling backwards. I am too. I am too. The the cut to continuity to the long shot, something would have changed if it were a stuntman. The the position of the hands on his body, his hair. You know, a stuntman a stuntman would be wearing a wig. One of them had their hand leaning up against the window, and it's all identical. It's all identical. Nothing changed. Yeah, there's no. And we've seen. Other places in WKRP, they're not big on following through with continuity, so I don't think they would have gone to the extent of creating the absolute identical scene to then stick in a stuntman. They just cut to the wide shot, and Frank Bonner fell. I'm yes. really sure that's what happened. <laughs> so so after, after this serious, you know, 
less trying to jump off the ledge and, and addressing <laughs> no. that problem. We end it with herb falling, herb falling and a big laugh. But they did set us up early, early that the firemen are putting the nets out and, you know, we hope we don't have to use them. But so you knew that Herb didn't fall to his death. I mean, as as heavy as this episode has been, we don't want to kill a guy at the end of it, you know. So Herb fell on the nets and he's fine. But then we fade to black and that's our final commercial break. We come back to the lobby and Jennifer is telling Johnny that she has been to the hospital and she she has visited Herb. And Johnny says, well, how's he doing? Well, he's a little doped up, but he'll be fine. Same here. Which adds to the lore of Howard Hessman saying that he wanted to make Johnny Fever primetime's first ever pothead. The first ever primetime pothead in the history of television was Johnny Fever. And he was in on this with Hugh Wilson as well. They could not show drug use overtly on primetime television. They're not going to have Johnny lighten up a joint in the studio. But Hugh Wilson said he wrote several scenes where Johnny's coming out of a bathroom or a closet and waving his hand like he's blowing smoke away <laughs> to, to imply that. So this is another one of those little shots that uh, they're, they're adding to. You're a little doped up but feeling fine. Johnny's like, hey, same here. Right. And in this scene, I want to talk about what Johnny is wearing. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he wears anything like this. Any other You episode. were offended. You were pretty offended I, by I just, this. Uh, it's not a good look for him. <laughs> he was wearing a pullover with a zipper front, like a sweatshirt and a hoodie or whatever. And it's, talk front. about disco. And it was unzipped almost to his belly button. And and on top of it, now, so we've got the chest hair. And the chest hair is sticking out, right. The V of this pullover, this sweatshirt thing. And then on top of it, you got to have gold chains. Yeah, he has a gold chain around his neck. And I'm looking like, that, that, I just did not like that look on Johnny. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was a little much. And you know, you know what's funny is, I didn't really notice it till you said it. Now I can't watch that scene without seeing that. I'm, I'm looking at that going, Johnny, what are you thinking, man? Jennifer is wanting to know, Johnny, what did you tell Herb? Well, Jennifer said, you know, I've been in to see Herb. So she's been in. Now Herb's in the hospital. He's a little doped up. He's a little hurt from hitting that net, but he's going right. to be fine. But obviously they've had a conversation that has left some questions in uh, Jennifer's mind. And she has sourced this back to Johnny. She thinks Johnny is the reason that Herb's been acting so weird. So she's figured it out. And after she asks Johnny, what'd you tell him? Les enters. And he <laughs> has also just visited Herb and said, yeah, he'll, he'll be out of the hospital in a week. And he said Herb kept asking the same this, question. And he's, but I think he's confused because this is what he kept asking me. If a guy dates a girl who used to be a guy but isn't anymore, what does that make the guy who dates the girl who used to be a guy? <laughs> <laughs> but then Johnny had the best after, after Lonnie, Lonnie's, uh, or Jennifer's obviously now from what Herb has said, she's given Johnny a look. Turning she's like, her oh, head. I know what you told Herb. Now this is making sense. And Johnny does a little shrug. It's toughy. <laughs> <laughs> so we fade to black. All right. So what's up next week? Next week is going to be the episode Hoodlum Rock. This is a great episode. This is a fun, fun episode. It's way, way, uh, way less stressful than the one we just did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, it's pretty stressful for Bailey. Yeah, yeah, but in a different way. It's a fun stress. <laughs> right. we, don't, we don't have to deal with it. It's not societal stress. So, All right. Well, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. Thank you for joining us. Remember, if you want to watch along, 
You can stream WKRP from the CBS All Access app. There is a subscription required. You can also buy it streaming by the episode or by the season from Amazon. But beware, anything streaming does not have the original music cues and will be the shortened 22-minute syndication episodes. If you want the full 25-minute episodes, we recommend you pick up the Shout Factory DVD box set. Shout Factory has restored most of the original music cues for the DVD release. You will find the complete series box set with a release date of 2014 and individual Shout Factory seasons released starting in 2015. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write to us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have any firsthand experience or memorabilia from the production of the original WKRP in Cincinnati, please share. We'd love pictures of items or scans of documents, things like props, costumes, scripts, call sheets. Anything from the set would be amazing. There isn't a lot of original documentation about the production of the show out there. We're trying to create an online repository of items. Thanks again for listening to the WKRPCast. And remember, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. I almost got, fellow babies, Booger!